Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. No. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil, in brightest day, in blackest night, no ending shall escape my sight. Let those who worship Ridley Scott's might <laughs> beware my power after the ending's Mike, or something like that. <laughs> Excellent. That's the worst version of the Green Lantern Oath you'll ever hear, but uh, I said that for a reason, and that reason, Phil, is... Yes, we are doing Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that yeah. makes just as much sense as anything else we say. No, we've got a bit of a comic book theme for today's episode, because we're going after the ending of 2011's Green Lantern. And 1990s Dick Tracy. Yeah, double feature of comic book films. Uh, sort Partly inspired by the fact that Thor Ragnarok is the, the big new movie at, at the moment that we're recording this. So we wanted and it's to... it's very, very good. Go there see you it. There go. We wanted to get a little kind of comic book themed issue. Uh, not an issue, but that works too. A comic themed episode in. So we're going to talk about those two movies. And we have even some special interviews, Phil. Yes. Uh, when I was at New York Comic Con, I spoke to William Shatner... And Bert Ward, you might know them from, uh, you know, a few TV shows and things. TJ Hooker. Yeah, so there was, uh, yeah, TJ Hooker and also uh, Bert Ward was in 1995's Karate Raider. There you go. Uh, I mean, so, I think that's pretty much what everybody knows yeah. those two giants of the industry from. Yes, yeah, so yeah, we, got, we chatted to them about the new uh, animated movie, Batman vs. Two-Face, which also featured the late, great Adam West, who you'll know from uh, Robinson Crusoe on Mars. <laughs> there you so, go. Uh, yeah, so that's a bit <laughs> later on. All right. And then uh, we're also going to be talking about 1987, which was a jam-packed year for great movies, it turns what, out. What a year. Wow. Looking at that. Yes. It was like, yeah. oh, my God, I love every film from 1987, it seems. I, you know, I feel the same way. It'll be interesting to see, though, if we both love 1987 for the same reasons, because I'm thinking like, oh, so many great movies. And you're thinking, oh, so many great movies. And it'll be funny if we get to the list and they're completely different. Great yeah, movies. How can you, you know? like that film? <laughs> right. I wasn't even thinking about that one. They're the only 10 films from 1987. I hate it, Mike. How did you pick them? <laughs> right. Uh, well, that's uh, that's this should be a lot of fun. So let's jump into the funny book pages, shall we, Phil? What do we say we start things off with uh, Dick Tracy? How's that sound? Yeah, let's go with Dick Tracy. 1990s Dick Tracy was uh, an adaptation of Chester Gould's classic comic book character, you know, the tough, square-jawed cop. It was directed by Warren Beatty, who also starred in it, alongside Madonna, Al Pacino, and a huge list of very famous actors. Uh, we're not going to list them all here. I'll mention a few of them now, but go and have a look because I'd forgotten that so many people are in there. It's just crazy. Lots of cameos. Most of which well. are under heavy makeup. Yes. Too. You don't recognize most of them because, yeah, they got this. All the bad guys look like the characters that Chester Gould created for the, uh, the comic book. Yeah. But anyway, so Dick Tracy's one of the toughest and best police officers in the city. And he's after the crime boss, Big Boy Caprice, played by Al Pacino. Big Boy killed former crime boss Lips Manless, played by Paul Savino, who was brilliant in Goodfellas. Uh, Big Boy is also bringing all the criminals together to take over the city and kill Dick Tracy and get rid of a load of the cops. Dick Tracy also has to look after an orphan called The Kid and also keep his girlfriend Tess Trueheart, played by Glenn Headley, and fight off the advances of club dancer Breathless Mahoney, who's played by Madonna. Meanwhile, a mysterious gangster known as The Blank complicates matters even further. So lots of things are going on, double crosses, lots of gangsters. Dick Tracy gets framed for something he didn't commit. Uh, but it all ends up with Big Boy kidnapping Tess, and he takes her to a bridge and ties her to the drawbridge control, so if he raises the bridge, she'll get torn apart. But he's confronted by Dick Tracy. They fight, but are stopped by the mysterious blank. Uh, Big Boy opens fire on the others, but Tracy manages to knock Big Boy off the bridge to his death, and the blank is mortally wounded, and it's shock horror it's revealed to be Breathless Mahoney. But she dies in his arms. But later, later on, Tracy proposes to Tess before heading off with the kid, who now calls himself Dick Tracy Jr., to stop a robbery. And that's a very brief rundown of the film because it's actually quite complicated what goes on. There's lots of all sorts of things which I'd forgotten about because I think I've only seen this film once when it came out. Right, right. Yeah, right. it had been a long time for me until I watched it last night, actually. Oh, so. okay. So how does it, how does it, uh, how does it hold up? 
You know, it's it's not bad, actually. It's not great. Yeah. Uh, it's not the best film in the world. I do like a lot of things about it. I like the visual style of it. It's really made to look like it's it's a comic book. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not meant to be uber serious. Some of the the makeup and some of the just it's a little over the top in places, which I realized was on purpose. Um, yeah. But it, it's still fun. It's it's definitely not like a masterpiece, but it's enjoyable for the most part. OK, well, that's that was the rundown of the film. Though, but what did you have? What did you have happening? On the day after the ending. Okay. Well, in the wake of Big Boy's death, crime in the city doesn't disappear completely, but it definitely slows down. Dick Tracy and Tess Trueheart get married, and they adopt Dick Tracy Jr. officially. For a while, all is calm, but then a series of big, huge crimes start to rock the city. A major movie star is kidnapped and ransomed for a million dollars. A federal gold depository is robbed and cleaned out of all its gold. A museum is robbed of all its priceless works of art. And the worst part is Dick Tracy has no suspects. There are no witnesses, no clues, nothing. He gets increasingly frustrated, and he's constantly venting to Tess about the case. She's incredibly supportive and tells him that she knows he'll get a break soon. Not long after, that break comes when the culprit behind all the crime shows up on a hijacked broadcast. People of the city, a shadowy figure says. As he steps out into the light, he states, I am the blank, and I'm here to take over this city. Ooh. And that's where we're going to leave it for now. But the, but the blank was dead. Oh, no. That's right. Oh, <laughs> oh lovely. So who, is, who is the new blank? It might be harder to figure out in my ending than it was in the actual movie. Yeah, well, when, it, when they were speaking, that didn't sound like Madonna. No, see? See, that's all it takes. So uh, let's see. How about your day after? Okay, well, my day after. Dick Tracy and the kid. I'm going to refer to him as the kid because I'll get confused in Dick Tracy Jr., Dick Tracy. But that's fine. So Dick Tracy and the kid make it to the scene of the bank robbery. Uniform officers are already at the scene, but they are perplexed. They explain to Tracy that when they arrived, three of the robbers were already dead. It seemed that they had shot each other. There was one survivor who kept babbling about how it just came from nowhere and took another member of the gang. Looking over the scene, Tracy noted how the gang members seemed to have been shooting all around them. The kid talked to the surviving criminal and asked who did this. He was like a shadow. He just came to life. And that's my day after. Hmm. Well, I have some ideas as to where I suspect you might be going with this, but I'll, I'll wait and see. I'm going to reserve saying anything until I see where you're going with it, but I like it. Okay, thank you very much. Well, that was my day after. What's happening with your immediate aftermath? Who is the blank? All right. Well, in the wake of the broadcast, Tracy and the police scramble and set up a blank task force. Only a select few people on the police force know that Breathless Mahoney was the original blank, but Tracy assures them all that there's no doubt she's dead. The police go into overdrive, searching for any clue as to the new blank's identity. Meanwhile, the crimes keep happening, and Tracy is never able to stop them, always arriving at the scene of the crime right after the bad guys manage to escape. Tracy is bewildered at how the blank always manages to be one step ahead of him. He even enlists Bug Bailey's help to make sure neither the police station nor his house are bugged, thinking back to how he got one step ahead of Big Boy, you know, in the movie. Uh, but, but the sweeps <laughs> come up clean. Things continue to get worse until one night when Dick Tracy gets a tip from an anonymous caller. He sets a trap and waits for the blank at a warehouse that's handling a major diamond shipment. When the blank arrives with his henchmen, there's a massive shootout with the police, and in the confusion, Tracy chases the blank into the warehouse. They end up on a catwalk high above the warehouse floor where a raging fire has broken out. Tracy has the blank cornered. Give it up, blank, Tracy yells. In response, the blank rips off his mask, only to reveal that he is once again a she. Tracy gasps in shock when he sees the real face of the blank. It's Tess Trueheart. No. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and that's where I'm going to leave it. That's the literal cliffhanger, or at least a cat catwalk hanger uh, for now. <laughs> Join yeah. us next week when Dick Tracy <laughs> right. faces up against Tess Trueheart. <laughs> All right. How about Ooh, your immediate that. aftermath? Thank okay. you. Thank you. How about yours? Okay, crime in the city keeps dropping, mainly due to the work of the unknown vigilante who the newspapers are calling the shadow. They say he seems to know what evil lurks in the hearts of man. <laughs> nice. Dick Tracy's put together a task force to bring in the shadow, as wherever he appeared, people ended up dead or they disappeared. Sure, they might be criminals, but the law is the law, and goddammit, Dick Tracy upholds the law. The kid had brought in some good intel from his sources on the street. Now Tracy and a small team of police officers were staking out the jewelers. It was midnight. Right on time, a gang of jewel thieves broke in. Wait for it, whispered Tracy. We're after the shadow. Suddenly all hell seemed to break loose in the jewellery store. From the vantage point, the police heard numerous gunshots. Tracy gave the orders to move out, and they all rushed over, guns ready. By the time they got to the jewellery store, everyone was dead. What the hell happened, muttered Tracy. Suddenly it was as if the shadows came to life, as a figure materialised in front of the officers. Standing almost seven foot tall, 
and looked at the figures before it. It took off its helmet, spread its jaws, and roared. One of the officers gasped and said, That's one ugly mother. Watch your mouth, officer, said Tracy. <laughs> and that's my immediate aftermath. <laughs> that is not where I expected it to go, but I like that even better. Thank you very much. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. Well, that was my immediate aftermath. What's happening with your long term? Damn it, Tess. How could you do this? <laughs> As flames rage around them, Tracy looks at Tess in shock. He drops his gun, and Tess raises her own and points it right at Tracy's heart. As she's about to pull the trigger, Dick Tracy Jr., who of course hitched a ride on the back of Tracy's car, climbs up onto the catwalk. Tess hesitates when she sees him. Please, Tess, don't hurt him, he pleads. Tess struggles, but eventually points her gun at Tracy again. Please, Jr. says again. Mom? Tess cries out in anguish and collapses, falling unconscious. Tracy carries her out of the warehouse. He tells the police that he killed the blank and that Tess had been his hostage. Then he gets her to the hospital. Eventually, the doctor explains to him what happened. It seems that the trauma from being kidnapped and nearly killed by Big Boy had caused Tess to have a psychiatric break, and watching Breathless die, she unwittingly took on her personality. Most times, Tess was Tess, but occasionally, the Breathless-slash-blank persona would take over, which is how the blank kept staying one step ahead of Tracy. The doctor assures Tracy that with proper care, Tess will be herself again in no time. Because, you know, in the comic books, people heal from these things really quickly. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's a given. Yeah. As Tracy's radio watch goes off once again, he leaves Junior to stay with Tess while she recovers and then races off into the night to once again save the day. Yes. And Get into Tracy. The end. <laughs> I like it. Very good. Thanks. Well, let's hear. I got to hear about how things are, are going with uh, Dick Tracy versus the Predator. So bring yes. it on. Yes, Tracy had only managed to make it out of the bloodbath through sheer luck. The rest of his squad was dead. The creature had gone through them all with ease. Dick Tracy had been blown through a window onto the street when an explosion had gone off in the middle of the room. One of the officers had been turned into a cloud of red mist, but that had been just enough to save Tracy. It was now a week later, and they had tracked the creature back to the meatpacking district. At first, they had thought it was a deformed human like the rest of Dick Tracy's rogues gallery. However, they'd managed to recover some of the creature's tech and had determined that it was either a genetically engineered monstrosity from Russia or an invader from Mars. Dick Tracy had gone in with a shotgun, pistol, and a flamethrower. He had refused any backup as he couldn't lose any more men. It had been a long battle. Both Tracy and the creature had used up their weapons and it, now, it was now a terrible fist fight. Dick Tracy had a couple of broken ribs, the creature had lost an arm and had a broken leg. Tracy misjudged a punch and the creature slashed him across the face. He felt agony as it tore through his eye. He knew he didn't have much time left. With the last bit of strength, Dick Tracy punched the creature in the mouth. It hadn't seen Tracy pick up the piece of broken metal, but it was the last thing it felt as the metal shard cut through into its brain. Dick Tracy slumped to the ground, taking deep breaths. He raised his radio watch and called it in. It's over. Tell Tess I'll be home soon. And that's the end. Very nice. I like Thank it. Thank you very much. I just, uh, I just like the idea of uh, that because you know the Predators turned up in a few other comic books. So. Oh yeah, he had a lot of crossovers yeah. with Batman and Justice League and Superman and lots of you know. So. Yeah, I just like the idea of uh, him going up against Dick Tracy. Oh, I think it's awesome. I would love to see that actually. Yeah. Thank you very much. So, Phil, do you have any Tracy trivia for us? Yes, I certainly do. The film was the highest-grossing film of Warren Beatty's career, which is uh, quite interesting considering the films he's been in. Yeah. Al Pacino designed the big boy makeup himself hmm. cool well the concept of it and everything can sketch it out and then uh, the makeup artist put it all on and put it together right gene hackman turned down the role of lips as he couldn't bear being directed by warren Beatty again after his time on reds back in 1981 huh. warren Beatty considered starring and directing in misery at the time but decided to do dick tracy and it's uh, it's quite ironic because james Kahn and kathy bates both feature in dick tracy as like uh, right. small roles right right uh, john landis was set to direct the film with Clint Eastwood in the title role, but Landis left after the onset accident uh, that happened on the Twilight Zone movie. Right. Uh, the gangster's boardroom scene featured the on-screen reunion of Al Pacino and James Caan after the Godfather films. Uh, it was the first feature film with a completely digital soundtrack and one of the last films to ever be made with paintings as the background scenery. Oh, wow. So that's why, that's why the camera doesn't really pan much on certain right, scenes, right. because that would, that would give it away. And some of the actors also considered for the role of Dick Tracy before it went to Warren Beatty was uh, James Caan, Harrison Ford, Richard Gere, Mel Gibson, Paul Newman, Robert Redford, and Tom Selleck. Huh. All good actors, but I, yes, I think yeah. I think Warren Beatty did a good job. I liked him in this film. Yeah, I think he did, yeah. yeah but that's, uh, that's Dick Tracy. Very cool. So how, how do we follow Dick Tracy? <laughs> how, do, how do we follow Dick Tracy? Well, it's going to be 2011's Green Lantern. God help us all. Oh, boy. Here we go. Yeah. Well, 
Let me tell you this, Phil. Hold on a minute. I think, uh, listeners, this could be a controversial opinion by Mike. Yeah, yeah. Mike's controversial opinion of the week, which longtime listeners will remember, used to be a pretty regular feature. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's making a comeback, and it's making a comeback strong, damn it. With, with Green Lantern. I just watched Green Lantern the other night. Now, I'll admit, I liked this movie the first time I saw it. I don't think it's a perfect film, but I never understood what people hated about it. But I watched it the other night, and I'll tell you this. In the wake of the Zack Snyder-verse and what you get with <laughs> movies like Man of Steel and, and Batman versus Superman, for God's sake, Green Lantern is a goddamn masterpiece. <laughs> it is the best DC movie in terms of being the most coherent, the most fun. You can actually see what's going on. It doesn't look all grungy and grimy like every cell of the film has been washed in dirt. It doesn't have that Zack Snyder look to it like every other DC film that's been made. Yeah, yeah. It's just a fun origin story of Green Lantern and Ryan Reynolds is, is a lot of fun in it and the, I like the visual effects for the most part. They hold up pretty well. I just don't understand what people's big problem with this movie is. So if you're a listener and you hate Green Lantern and you've seen it relatively recently... I want to hear from you. I want to know why do you hate this movie? Because I think it's a lot of fun and I really enjoyed it. And my kids really enjoyed it too. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I've always been a big fan of Green Lantern, especially the Hal Jordan Green Lantern. But uh, I was disappointed in the film, I think, because it just wasn't it wasn't quite what I wanted. I mean, it started off really well with the whole, you know, I've been so crash landing. It, like, they had a lap bit right. And then I think they just got, I think Parallax, they just didn't do him right because I was used to what he was in the comic or what, what the entity was in the comic and things like that. It was lots of bits which just didn't go right and I don't know it didn't all gel it just seemed a bit messy mm. for, for me but I I've, I haven't seen it since I, it first came out so yeah it's it's like I said it's not a, it's not a perfect film but I, yeah. I challenge anybody to watch it again in the wake of the Zack Snyder films unless you're a huge fan of the Zack Snyder films yeah that which, could be that's, that could. Um, but anybody who's been disappointed in those like like we have go back and watch Green Lantern yeah. and I think you'll find your opinion of it has changed considerably I w I'll have to watch it again just to as you say because I was really disappointed in the Zack Snyder films so yeah well yeah. like I said I, I like Green Lantern I'll stand by it I don't care if people don't like it I think it's a lot of fun okay well do you want to give us a rundown of what happened in the film to refresh our memories sure thing so Green Lantern 2011 directed by Martin Campbell starring Ryan Reynolds Blake Lively, Peter Sarsgaard, Tim Robbins, Mark Strong, and, ironically, Taika Waititi, the director of Thor Ragnarok. Yes. Uh, so Hal Jordan is an impetuous test pilot whose dad was killed in a test plane explosion when Hal was just a kid. Meanwhile, Abin Sur is a Green Lantern, a sort of space cop from the Green Lantern Corps, a group created by the Guardians to patrol the 3,600 sectors of the universe. They use their rings to generate willpower constructs. Basically, if they can imagine it, they can create it. When Parallax, a powerful creature that feeds on fear, escapes from where Abin Sur had imprisoned him, Sur crashes on Earth and transfers his ring to Hal, who the ring has chosen because he is, quote, fearless. Hal gets transported to Oa, the planet of the Guardians and the Green Lantern headquarters, where he does some training with fellow Lanterns Kilowog and Tomar Ree, but kind of gets his ass kicked and basically quits the Corps after a stern talking to by Sinestro, who is the de facto leader of the Corps. Back on Earth, Hal saves a senator from Hector Hammond, a scientist who's been infected by Parallax and has telekinetic powers, and reveals his identity to Carol Ferris, his semi-girlfriend and fellow pilot. Sinestro convinces the Guardians to create a yellow ring powered by fear to combat Parallax, who's heading to Earth. On Earth, Parallax kills Hector Hammond and Hal battles it, eventually defeating it by throwing it into the sun, where he has saved himself by help from the other Green Lanterns. Hal rejoins the Corps, and he and Carol become a full-time item again. And then in the post credit scene, we see Sinestro stealing the yellow fear ring and then transforming while putting it on into wearing a yellow costume with a new logo and his eyes turn yellow, which was obviously going to be setting up a sequel that sadly never happened. Yeah, yeah. I think it all felt rushed. I think that's the main problem with the film. But you summed it up very nicely. You got to well, it. Well, and it is. I mean, I think that that is one of the issues with it because they're trying to introduce this whole concept of the Green Lantern Corps into yeah. this two-hour movie. You know, it definitely, I think, could have used from actually some extra running time. And if you know me, you know that I don't usually say that because I think yeah. most movies should be shorter. Um, but this feels like a movie that could have been two and a half hours pretty easily just to kind of flesh it out a little more. Well, we might well touch on something about that when I do the trivia. All right, I can't wait to hear it. Mm. Oh, and we should say, obviously Green Lantern and, and Dick Tracy both had a have a history of years and years of comic strips and comic books. I mean, Green Lantern, obviously, there's been a ton of comics. We yeah, can yeah. delve into all that, but, but we're kind of going just strictly off the movie continuity. Obviously, you can point to what we're going to say happens and say, well, that doesn't happen because in Blackest Night and all these other spinoffs, this happened and that happened, but we're just ignoring the comics 
comics yeah. and strictly picking up after the film. Yeah, let's not forget, you know, DC Universe is a multiverse. There's many different versions, so all of them can fit in. That's right. Yeah. So go ahead, Phil. Give us your day after. Okay. Hal returns to Earth and spends time with Carol. He's getting over the whole big battle, but, you know, he realizes he did good. And he ends up helping out with some Earth-based emergencies. Things like forest fires, bank robberies, you know, disasters and stuff like that. So Green Lantern becomes known around Earth. However, he soon gets the call to return to Oa. He reluctantly does so because he doesn't want to leave Carol again. But when he arrives, he is glad to see Kilowog and the others, and he's greeted as an equal. He begins some advanced training, and while that's going on, he asks about Sinestro. Kilowog explains that Sinestro had headed out into deep space on a private matter, and has not been heard from since. Hal realises Kilowog is hiding something. When pushed, Kilowog explains he felt Sinestro was different in some way, but thought it could just be the stress of what they'd been through. Before they have a chance to talk about it in detail, Hal's ring buzzes and a message from Carol comes through. Hal, there's someone here asking for you, for Green Lantern. Hal bids Kilowog a farewell and returns to Earth as quickly as he can. When he gets the Ferris aircraft, he's greeted by Carol, who hugs him and tells him to suit up. A strange vortex appears, and out of it jumps a young man wearing strange goggles. He smiles when he sees Green Lantern and mutters, this is so cool, before continuing. Hi, I'm Vibe. He pauses and removes his goggles. My name is Cisco, and I need your help. That's <laughs> my day after. Very nice. So we're bringing Green Lantern into the uh, the DC television universe, I see, as opposed to the uh, cinematic universe. Hmm, well, let's say you know. Or maybe say. not. Okay, well, we'll see. Mm. My All day right. after. What about, what's happening then with your day after? All right, well, with Parallax defeated, his death has a strange effect on the Earth. It turns out that he was so powerful that his very existence fueled fear across the universe. Oh, cool. With his death occurring so close to Earth, it has a weird ripple effect on the planet. Slowly but surely, people start to find that their fears are disappearing. Phobias are suddenly overcome, children stop having nightmares, abused wives leave their husbands, and things like skydiving and bungee jumping revenues skyrocket across the globe. <laughs> and people stop electing political leaders who traffic in fear-based rhetoric, keeping bigots and racists from taking office. Hmm, I had a feeling something like that might be coming could. I'm just saying, it could happen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As Earth starts to become more fearless, Hal finds that he has less to do on the planet and starts spending more time off-planet, using his Green Lantern powers to help with bigger, more interplanetary problems. Problems. But his relationship with Carol stays strong, and they fall deeply in love. Carol misses Hal when he's gone, but he always comes back to her. Until one night when she's lying in bed, and a familiar green glow fills the room. She smiles and rolls over, expecting to see Hal, but is surprised instead to see just his ring floating in midair. Uh-oh. Carol Ferris of Earth, the ring says, you have been selected as the Green Lantern for Sector 2814. And that's where we'll leave it for now. Oh, no, and knowing about Green Lanterns, that's a, it's never a good sign when just the ring turns off. It usually isn't. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll see what happens. Well, meanwhile, how about what's going on in your immediate aftermath that may or may not be tied into the DC comic book shows, even though we know it is? Yeah. Uh, Hal looks around at the various superheroes gathered before him. Cisco had explained that a new dangerous force had threatened the multiverse. He had then had to explain to Hal what the multiverse was. <laughs> <laughs> Telling Carol he would be back as soon as he could, Hal had journeyed with Cisco back to his home dimension. Now he stood with the Flash, Kid Flash, Green Arrow and his crew of heroes, the Legends of Tomorrow, and Cisco had just returned from another jump and introduced them to Supergirl, Superman, and John Jones, the Martian Manhunter. Yes. Cisco then made another jump. Hal was amazed at the various powers and abilities the people had. They too felt the same, asking Hal to make various constructs. One of the legends, called Rory, asked Hal if he could make some dancing girls and a crate of beer. Uh, but uh, Hal quickly moved aside from the, the big guy. A short while later, Cisco returned with five more heroes. A large bearded man, some kind of cybernetic man, an Amazonian woman, another Flash, and a man dressed as a bat. Upon seeing Superman, the latter started forward, then stopped. You're not him, he growled before looking around. The two Flashes were a blur as they buzzed around each other. This is Batman and the Justice League, said Cisco. Looking closely at the Batman, Hal said... You look, you look just like Ben Affleck. <laughs> Who? Growled the batter. And that's my immediate aftermath. <laughs> that's better than looking like Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> that's funny. I like it. All right, we got some, we got some big crossovers happening here. Very yes, cool. Yeah. But it, but it all fits in with the DC, you know, comic books. That's right. Works. That's right. Yeah. It's all multiverse. Yeah. What's happening then with Carol and uh, the appearance of the Green Lantern ring? Okay. Well, Carol is in shock. She knows that the ring wouldn't have come to Earth if Hal was safe. Not knowing what else to do, she puts the ring on her finger, and it instantly fills her in on the situation. Sinestro, having put on the yellow fear ring, has been corrupted by the power of fear and has become insanely powerful. 
He was already the most skilled Green Lantern, and the Corps has little defense against a being with the power of Parallax and the skill of a Green Lantern. Hal and most of the other Green Lanterns have been captured, and in the last scene that she sees in her mind, Hal sends the ring to Earth to make Carol the new Green Lantern. Thankful for the times Hal had let her use the ring and take a few test flights with it, she powers it up in the battery, then flies off into space towards the now-captured planet Oa. On the way there, Carol is met by an injured Tomar Ree and Kilowog, who barely escaped Sinestro's assault on Oa. They try and talk her out of attempting to rescue Hal, telling her that Sinestro is too powerful for her to take on by herself. Maybe we just have to push the rings past their limits, she says. I think I have an idea. And that's my immediate aftermath. Ooh, okay. Oh, I like that. Interesting all right. to see where that ends up. Yeah, I hope so. All right, cool. I want to see where this all ends up, so let's hear your long term. Okay, the battle was not going well. The assembled heroes had headed into space to find a fiery planet called Apocalypse. Nice. Forces from that planet had been attacking other civilizations across different dimensions and times. The forces of Apocalypse were also joined by a new organization of Yellow Lanterns who fed on fear. Even worse, they were led by Sinestro. Some of the legends with their version of Supergirl and Superman had headed into the time stream to see if they could stop things in the past. The Justice League and the other heroes had gone to Apocalypse to try and defeat or sabotage the forces there. Batman, Green Arrow, White Canary and Sisko's Flash had gone ninja to break into the citadel of the ruler of Apocalypse, a being known as Darkseid. Hal had been fighting with the power demons of Apocalypse and the yellow lanterns in space around the planet when they had suddenly stopped and returned to the planet's surface. The ring then passed Hal a message. Your comrades have been captured. Join us on the surface or they will be killed, so says Darkseid. Flying to the surface, Hal found the Justice League, including Batman and the Ninja Team, in chains, while the terrifying figure known as Darkseid stood over them. Green Lantern, so good of you to join us. Now watch as your comrades die. Uh, excuse me, said Hal. Sorry to stop your monologuing. <laughs> Darkseid looked furious at the interruption. How dare you? Oh, shut up, you big dumb idiot, said Hal. Let me explain. While you were busy rounding up my teammates... Hi, guys, by the way. You okay? I was in a different dimension with my buddy Cisco, making some new friends. I left a duplicate of myself to fight your goons while I got some reinforcements. Everything you've done is all part of the plan. Hal pointed behind Darkseid as a huge portal opened. Ah, right on time, said Hal. Let me introduce you to the League of Supermen. <laughs> and that's uh, that's my long term. Very nice. Thank you. That, I'm picturing this all in my head, and I'm like, this would be the coolest movie ever, but the budget would be like $700 million. I, I, know, yes. <laughs> I just thought, you know, I'd go big, get all yeah. of them, because there's so many different Superman, super people. Absolutely. I, just thought I love the idea of like, you know, 300 Superman pouring through this portal and just beating the crap out of Darkseid. Yeah, so yeah, it'd be really good. I just say, though, the budget would be ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit. <laughs> Yeah. Very but cool. That's my, that's my long term. And what's happening then? What's uh, what's Carol doing with the uh, the power ring? All right. Well, shortly thereafter, a previously unseen Green Lantern approaches Oa, glowing bright green like an emerald knight. Sinestro senses his approach and barely gives him a thought as he figures to dispatch him as easily as he did the rest of the Green Lantern Corps. But something is different about this Green Lantern. It doesn't seem to feel fear at all. Every attack Sinestro levels against it, it counters easily. Sinestro can't outfly him or outpower him, and every tactic he tries is easily thwarted by this new Green Lantern. In short order, the Green Lantern defeats Sinestro, removes his yellow ring, and banishes him to the Phantom Zone, an interdimensional prison. Yes. When Sinestro is gone, the Green Lantern dissolves, and the three rings at its core return to their owners, Carol, Tomari, and Kilowog, who had been watching from orbit in an energy bubble that was held together with the smallest amount of reserve power from the rings. The Green Lantern construct they had created together was enough to beat Sinestro because it wasn't really alive, and therefore couldn't feel fear. As the three fly down to the surface of Oa and free the imprisoned lanterns, Carol is overjoyed to see that Hal is safe and sound. They embrace and kiss, and after a few moments in each other's arms, Hal finally says, Can I have my ring back now? <laughs> I don't know. I think I might keep it for a little bit, Carol says with a laugh. What if I replace it with a better ring, Hal asks. Carol smiles, kisses Hal, gives him back his ring, and they fly off into the proverbial sunset. Oh, I like that. Thanks. Yeah, I like how they defeated it. It's good, that as well. I thought it was kind of fun. Hal could always, Hal could always get to Carol a sapphire ring, so... Right, well, I didn't want to go into that only because it was in the comics, so I kind of... Yeah, I, yeah. I was trying to avoid stuff that had happened in the comics, you know? Yeah, but it's... No, that was that was very good. Yeah, I thought that'd be fun. Let Blake I Lively like take the take center stage for a while. Yeah. Because, frankly, the idea of Blake Lively in a skin-tight Green Lantern suit is, is not a bad idea as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> Just had to throw that out yes. there. Yes, no, I, I agree. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Yeah, well... I just picture that now. Yeah. <laughs> and our <laughs> podcast comes to a screeching halt yes. as, we, as we both sit there and picture Blake Lively in a Green Lantern suit. Yes. 
Yes. Okay. Anyway, well, we, well we, we've seen we've seen Ryan Reynolds in a well two super. Well, as I'm just saying, right? We get to see Ryan Reynolds in skin tight suits all the time. I don't think that's. I think it's a fair as fair. Then I don't think there's anything wrong with you know wanting to see Blake Lively in a skin tight yeah. Green Lantern suit. That's yeah. all. It's just equality. That's right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. So, Phil, do you have any Green Lantern trivia for us? Apparently, director Martin Campbell had wanted Bradley Cooper to play Hal, but the studio cast Ryan Reynolds and ended up with Campbell constantly criticising the performance, his performance and made him do many takes. Hmm. Reynolds did tell Variety in an interview that the film's failure was a huge relief as he had had such an unpleasant experience making it and he didn't want to go through that again. Oh, that's a bummer. I know. Uh, Jeff Johns first tried to get the film made back in 2000, but the first question he was asked by the studio was whether the film could be made without the ring. So he <laughs> went, whoa, let's uh, leave that for now. Yeah. The film was supposedly cut to bits by the studio, so that's, you know, there's lots of bits missing. Parallax was supposed to be revealed in the third act. It was meant to be Hector Hammond was the big bad, and then you'd suddenly find out he was being manipulated. We weren't meant to know that. Uh, char- character development was sacrificed for, you know, CG. Yeah. The training, uh, when he was getting trained on how to use the ring, was just really cut way back. And you really, I think the film suffers for it, to be honest. Right. Because when you're watching it, you're going, well, he's trained. And then what's what's going on? Uh, and the way flashbacks were put in and moved around. And it wasn't the cut that Martin Campbell wanted. So I would like to see a director's cut with the, all the stuff put back in the right thing. I will say that the version I watched was the extended edition. Yeah, uh, but that's only I, like nine minutes, isn't it? So, yeah, it's, it's something yeah. like that. Not too, too much more. And I, I again, it's been a while since I've seen it, so I don't know if it made that big of a difference. It certainly didn't solve the pacing problem altogether. Uh, maybe it was a little better. I certainly didn't notice anything that, that felt bloated or unnecessary, so maybe yeah. it makes it a slightly better cut. But it didn't it didn't solve all the problems. But again, I still enjoyed the movie, so go figure. So I think it was big, big like an extra half an hour or more that's oh, sort okay. of missing right so. but anyway and uh, alan scott the first green lantern was in early drafts of the script and they were thinking about having pierce brosnan playing him oh that would have been fun but that all changed obviously. right well very cool there you go yes well that wraps up our endings for dick tracy and green lantern hope you enjoyed them uh before we get into our interviews with william shatner and burt ward phil i believe you had gotten some some mail you wanted to mention yes well we got sent a few uh a few books from author press uh, and as it's near the end of October, it's all Halloween time, and these are all to do with horror films. Uh, the first one was the films of Terence Fisher, who was uh, who did lots of great work with Hammer Horror, and it's uh, it's an excellent book going into his life and what he did. Uh, well worth checking out. That one's out in a couple of weeks, but currently you can get some of the Devil's Advocate books, and these like nice little slim little books, which basically take uh, a horror movie. And have it take a real dive into it, you know, how it works, the scenes, what went on in the production of it. And the new ones that are coming out, uh, no, actually, they're currently out now, you can get them. They are The Company of Wolves, uh, Juwan or The Grudge, Cannibal Holocaust, and The Shining. So if you like a bit of horror and want to know a little bit more about the films, you can get them now. They're out, you can get them from wherever they sell books. Very cool. I'm looking forward to checking those all out. Yes, uh, and thank you very much for Auto Press for sending them over. Indeed. All right. Well, now it's time to talk about superheroes one more time. So let's discuss Batman versus Two-Face, which is the new animated film that's from the DC Universe animated film series. It's out now on Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, and it is the follow-up to last year's Return of the Caped Crusaders, which saw Adam West and Burt Ward reprising their roles as Batman and Robin doing the voices. Yeah. And this time they bring William Shatner along for the ride. So, Phil, you got to interview William Shatner and Burt Ward. So why don't you uh, take us through it? Yeah, well, I spoke to them and also we're right and producer Michael Jelinek. But first of all, yeah, I had William Shatner sat down there and I couldn't believe it. Star Trek, big fan. And so I asked him the question. And the first one I asked was uh, what it was like to play Two-Face and uh, how he came up with the voice. And he then went to discuss about the duality of evil. And here he is talking about that. It was great. I was had it. It was a great. I had a good time. It's a double character. They're always fun to play. And, and I attempted to... Um, to do it all uh, at once, rather than laying down one track and putting on another track. That the challenge would be to allow the evil spirit to emerge as though it were really happening. So it's Jekyll and Hyde, really, isn't it? How did that evil person come out? There are many voices in us, but I'm going too far afield for a five-minute interview. (laughs) (laughs) Then we talked about Adam West and and William Shatner talked about the fact that they had actually worked together a long, long time ago. A long time ago, I did a pilot on Alexander, and uh, before Batman and before Star Trek, 
and I played Alexander, and he was one of the guys in the in the in the club. And I saw Adam at a Comic Con some time ago. We we uh, had a a lovely nodding friendship where hi, and we'd spend a few. Months. He he was a lovely man, a lovely, sophisticated, charming, amusing guy. Uh, he was he was lovely, and I enjoyed his company. And we'd in passing be uh, try and top each other with a, a funny line. Uh, but he was he was great. He was a great guy. It's ironic that this movie is coming out and he's not here. And finally, uh, managed to ask him his opinion on Star Trek Discovery. I was invited to the premiere, and uh, I forgot why I agreed to go. <laughs> but I went, and it's very, it's very fun. It's, it's amusing. I think I went because there was a lot of publicity, and I have a lot of things I'm doing, and I thought it would, I, I got books out there and stuff like that. So uh, I saw both episodes uh, in a big theater in, uh, in California, and it's fun. It's great fun. I think... Uh, the audience will, will take to it. Bert Ward, Robin himself was there. Um, when he, he said, greetings citizens. And we asked him, well, I asked him uh, how fun it was to do the film and what it was like having Shatner on board. This was a lot of fun. I mean, for different reasons. Uh, I was actually given probably one of the most nicest compliments I've ever had by Jay Bastian, who was executive producer of, of Warner Brothers Animation, when during the recording, he uh, actually stopped the recording, and he came out, and he said, Bert, and, and I had watched them, all these guys in there. Now remember, these are pros, they do this every day. It's not just Batman, they have all these movies, and they do all the animated stuff. And all these guys, and I mean, the supervising producers, script people, all these people, they're all laughing. They're all looking like this is some party in there, you know? And I'm figuring, wait a minute, they've seen the script a thousand times. They know, why are they all having such fun? He came out and he said, he said, we're blown away. And I said, what? He said, you sound exactly <laughs> like you sounded 50 years ago. And his quote was, it's almost scary. So for me, it was, you know, it was a great compliment. I mean, I couldn't have gotten a, a nicer compliment. So I was thrilled about this. And I'm thrilled about this. This was the smartest casting, in my opinion, Warner Brothers could ever have done. Why? Because you have the two most iconic television shows in history, Batman and Star Trek, with the actors working together. I mean, you talk about dynamic duo of, of television series. This is, you, couldn't, you couldn't do any better. I don't know how they could top this. He also talks about a special tribute that was on the Blu-ray, which is called The Wonderful World of Bert Ward. They have a very special tribute to me on that show. They call me in to do an interview. And, you know, going in and doing five or ten minutes, you know, no, no this was not five or ten minutes, this was hours on film. And I said, boy, they're asking all these questions, you know? You know what I mean? And they have produced a featurette that is being released with this movie. And the title blows me away. <laughs> it's called The Wonderful World of Burt Ward. It talks about the show, talks about my close friendship with Adam, talks about our dog rescue and how we doubled and tripled the lifespan of dogs, which for me is tremendous. All of this together has uh, it is just an incredible piece, and the few people that have seen it have all said, this is one of the greatest things I have ever seen. You know, and I mean, and, and, it, and this is not an ego booster because it's speaking from the heart. I mean, there's some moments there that'll bring a tear to your eye in talking about Adam and stuff together and, and the loss of Adam. And it, it, uh, it's just such an incredible compliment, and I feel really, really good about it, and I, and I'm, I am so thankful that Warner Brothers did this. Nobody asked me. My, I didn't, my agents were now saying, well, oh, how about doing this? This was completely on their own. They've done this thing. And um, they do like my charitable work. You know, I like to say, and, and Warner Brothers actually likes this, where I say, I was the caped crusader, and now I am the canine crusader. <laughs> and finally asked him how, uh, why he thinks Batman and Robin is still popular today. 
If something is right, it's right. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, no matter what you do, you can't make it work. Batman worked. And I believe not, I mean, first of all, there was so much going for it back when we first did it. The color, right? Not a lot of people had seen color. And you talk about color. How could you have more color than on Batman, right? Mm -hmm. And the, the hero worship for kids riding in this Batmobile, climbing walls, fighting heinous villains, all that action. Kids loved it. And it still connects. And what they've done with these, these movies, these two animated movies, They've taken the best of what we had. They've combined it with some of the newer stuff that they've done in the features. You know what I mean? And still staying where it's family entertainment. And you take the two and you actually make something that's greater than the individual parts. Well, Phil, that is just fantastic. I mean, especially considering it was your first New York Comic Con and then to be able to interview two legends like that. Uh, well yeah. done, sir. Well done. Very cool. Thank you very much. Yeah, I was, uh, I was quite blown away because, you know, I've been aware of, of uh, William Shatner and Bert Ward since I was a kid, as many of us have. And right. it's just amazing to be sat opposite them. Absolutely. Well, that was exciting. All right. Well, we'll have more interviews from New York Comic Con still to come in future episodes, so stay tuned for those. Meanwhile, it is time to move on to our 100 Years of Hollywood in 100 episodes, wherein Phil and I share our top 10 movies from each year of the last century of Hollywood. So, Phil, why don't you climb into your famous time machine and take us back to the year 1987? Yes, so 1987, uh, the British Prime Minister was Margaret Thatcher and the U.S. President was Ronald Reagan. Some of the things that happened in that year were Aretha Franklin was the first woman inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. SN1987A was the first supernova visible to the naked eye since 1604. The Bold and the Beautiful debuted on CBS and the Simpsons cartoon first appeared as a short on the Tracy Ullman show. Wow. Uh, a long time ago. 18-year-old Matthias Rust, who was a German kid, landed a plane in Red Square, Moscow and was, you know, unsurprisingly arrested. <laughs> was never seen again. <laughs> uh, Lynn Cox was the first person to swim the Bering Strait, and it took her two hours and five minutes. The first KFC opened in mainland China in Beijing. The Max Headroom broadcast, Signal Intrusion, took place on channels WGN-TV and WTTW. Awesome. They were hijacked by uh, unknown perpetrators who shared a strange video of a man in a Max Headroom mask. And the first Starbucks coffee stores Outside Seattle, opened in Vancouver and Chicago. Huh. That's what happened there. But we also had some births. Uh, we saw the births of Evan Peters, Rose Leslie, Michael B. Jordan, Ellen Page, Jack Johnson, uh, Kate Nash, Evan Rachel Wood, Blake Lively. Hello, Blake, again. Yeah. Uh, Danielle Panabaker, Tom Felton, Zach Afrin, and Karen Gillen, amongst others. But sadly, we lost some great ones. Uh, Roy Bolger, who played the Scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz. Uh, Liberace, Alistair MacLean, Andy Warhol, Randolph Scott, Danny Kaye, Rita Hayworth, Fred Astaire, Jackie Gleason, John Huston, and Lee Marvin, and Lorne Green. And that's 1987. All right, a very momentous year. Yes, indeed, and... Uh it's very much the same with the amount of films there. So do you want to kick us off with uh, your number 10? Absolutely. Well, my number 10 is a little seen film, but it is a favorite of mine. It is called From the Hip, starring Judd Nelson as a lawyer who is, well, slightly unconventional, we'll say. Uh, kind of a goof-off lawyer. Uh, and then, of course, a big case lands in his lap and things go predictably from there. But it's a really fun movie. Uh, I, I don't think a lot of people have seen it, but I saw it when it came out in, uh, in 87 back on video. I think, and I absolutely loved it. It's a really funny comedy, but it, it it's more of a comedy in the first half, and it gets a little more serious in the second half. But um, it's just a film that I really, I remember watching over and over and over again in my teenage years and kind of introducing friends to it. And so I don't know why it hasn't sort of stuck with more people. Yeah. But I just, I really love it. And I know that's going to happen is most people will be like, huh, I don't know that film. And like three people listening will be like, yes, I love that movie. <laughs> um, well, this is for you, guys, because I love that movie too. I know I haven't seen the film, but I know of it because I think uh, I remember the, uh, the cover you yeah, know, video and things yeah. Like it was that. always it was a, a yeah. definitely like a, a staple of the video stores. Yeah, and I think sure. it was on the trailer. It was on before a few films. Yeah. No, but a good choice. Always good. You know, it's one. It's always good to have a few which you know people may not have seen or heard of. Exactly. Okay, my number ten is uh, No Way Out, the one with Kevin Costner and Sean Young, where Kevin Costner is uh, he's in the U.S. Navy. They become aware that there's a, there could be a KGB sleeper agent involved in the base and there's various shenanigans going on and I quite liked it because I hadn't seen it for a long time and then eventually got to watch it and the intrigue it was a good political thriller lots of twists and turns Kevin Costner's always great and you know it's Gene Hackman as well and a great cast really good surprise me and I really really enjoyed it it's uh, I think 
I'm not going to say blew me away, but I just remember watching it just going, wow, that was great. Indeed. That's my number 10. Very good pick. All right. Well, my number nine is, and this tells you what a good year 1987 was. I know we both had a hard time making this list, but but if uh, if you had told me my number nine was going to be Lethal Weapon and that that's how low it is on my <laughs> list, I would have I would have been very surprised. But my number nine yeah. is Lethal Weapon. I love Lethal Weapon, but there's a lot more movies this year that I love even more. I love the Lethal Weapon films as a, as a franchise. Like I like all three of the first ones equally. And so in a way, that almost diluted its position on the list because it was like, oh, but I still have Lethal Weapon 2 and 3 to, to get onto my lists. Um, I really do love that that first trilogy. I even enjoy the fourth one, but uh, the first one is a classic action film. It's Shane Black. It's great. So it's on my list for sure, but there's definitely other films I, I that kind of eked it down to number nine. Yeah, it was. The first Lethal Weapon film was on my list, but it just kept getting pushed, as you say. It just kept other things kept coming up, and I kept going, no, I wanted it to be in the top ten, but it just, just got pushed outside. Yep, yep. It was so hard doing this list. It really was. But, okay, my number nine note is a film by a uh, Wim Wenders called Wings of Desire, starring Bruno Gans. He's playing an invisible angel in Berlin and ends up falling in love with a woman. And if it sounds familiar to some of you, it's because you've either seen it or you've seen City of Angels, which was the US remake with Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan. But the original is absolutely beautiful film. Bruno Gans's performance is just phenomenal. And it's just, it's beautiful and it's romantic and it's, it's weird and strange because it's Wim Wenders just does great things. But that's my number nine. Very good pick. I've actually never seen the original, I have to admit. I've only seen the Nicolas Cage version, but I, I have always wanted to see Wings of Desire. So one of these days, I'll get around to it. Well, we're checking out. All right. Well, my number eight is a tie between two movies that I love dearly, uh, both of which are very funny comedies that have really strong emotional components to them. Uh, the first one is Good Morning Vietnam. And the second one is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Excellent. Good Morning Vietnam, of course, one of Robin Williams' finest films. It's so funny, but man, that ending is such a gut punch. I know what you mean about the ending. Yeah, it's just really powerful. And then Planes, Trains, and Automobiles isn't quite as as severe of a tonal shift, but it does definitely. It's one of those films that kind of you know brings a tear to your eye uh, because it's so makes you. It's just warm and fuzzy in places, even though there's a lot of times where it's not warm and fuzzy until the very end. But I do think actually I've said this before uh, because we went after the ending of this in an early episode, but I, I do think it is probably John Candy's finest performance. It was It's the movie that made me really reassess him as an actor and go, wow, he wasn't just funny. He actually was a good actor too. Um, yeah. So I love both those films, so those are my number eight. I totally agree, and I love both of those films, but again, they sort of just... Wow. Yeah, yeah I hear I know. <laughs> they were, it was just, yeah, they were Tough in there, year. then they were out, and it was just yeah, so hard. All right, well, let's okay, hear what but, you got uh, next. My number eight is uh, Angel Heart, uh, directed by Alan Parker and starring Mickey Rourke and Robert De Niro and Lisa Bonet, uh, about a New York detective who's hired to try and find a man known as Johnny Favorite. When it's all, he goes to New Orleans, it's all dark and it's just very stylish and great performances by all involved. And it's, you know, it goes very, to very dark places and lots of strange happenings. But I just love, I love the whole look and the style and the fact it takes its time. And yeah, it stayed with me, that film, and I do enjoy watching it. Very cool. Well, Phil, if I have to predict your number seven, it's going to be a movie that has to do with angels and that I haven't seen because the, <laughs> both of your last two yeah, films both yeah, yeah. <laughs> are angel-related in some way, and I haven't seen either of them. So uh, uh, I, I, I'm familiar with Angel Heart. I've just never gotten around to it. Yeah. All right. Well, here's my number seven. Again, another one I was surprised at where it ended up on my list, and it is The Monster Squad, uh, another film we've gone after the ending of and a movie that I know will be on your list, not to ruin any of the fun, but um, I do love this movie. It's so much fun. Um, it's just – and it holds up so well because I, I watched it again a couple years ago, and it, it really is just as much fun as I remember it being. Um, sort of a, I mean, definitely a cult classic. I, I you know, there, you've either seen it and you love it, or you haven't seen it. But it is a favorite of mine, and um, that's all I have to say about it. Yeah, well, my number seven is also the Monster Squad. All right. So there you go. Yeah, we spoke about it. I think it was uh, episode thirteen. There you go. Love the film. Universal Monsters, given a you know refresher, some great lines. Kids against monsters. Who doesn't love that? Yeah, uh, really. Yeah. What's Just not to love? Fun. All right. Well, my number six then is probably the only time an Oliver Stone film will appear on one of my lists, and it is Wall Street. Uh, starring Charlie Sheen and Michael Douglas. Charlie Sheen's finest performance by far. And of course, you know, the whole Gordon Gecko greed is good <laughs> yeah. thing. Uh, I really love this movie. I always have. It's so good. And, and Michael Douglas is so great in his role. And I love the story of it. And it's just one of those films I, I never get tired of watching. It's really, really powerful. And uh, 
I don't know. I just, I just love it. That's all there is to it. All right, excellent choice. Uh, Wall Street, I've never been. Uh, I know it's a good film. It's, I'm never sure whether I like it or not. Oh man, it's I love it. Them, I, need, I need to watch it again. To be honest, it's been a long time since I've seen it. Yeah, it's it's so, worth revisiting because it's yeah. actually I think it's better than you remember. It's, that's probably it. Yeah, it's probably it. Yeah, I feel like I like it more now because as an adult I can follow the story more than I could when I saw it the first time when I was like thirteen or fourteen. You know, I started to revisit yeah, it as yeah. an adult and fell in love with it more as an adult than I did as a younger viewer. So it's definitely worth rewatching if you haven't seen it. That's in a true. Long yeah, because it must be like it must be about like twenty years since I last saw it. Right. Yeah. Definitely yeah. watch it again. I think you'll be amazed. Okay. Well, my number six is uh, The Lost Boys. Very good. Joel Schumacher, one of Joel Schumacher's good films. Um, we all know it. We all know it. Michael, Vampires, <laughs> A Couple of Corys, uh, just loads of fun. Kiefer Sutherland, just a great vampire movie, uh, but it's funny. And I, I, it's just, I just, it does it all really well. And, you know, you've got the guy with the saxophone, still believing. Uh, and it's just, yeah, just so much fun. Yeah. I do love that film. And, it, I'm, you know, I'm sorry it's only number six, but... No, I hear you. Listen, yeah. uh, here's the thing. It didn't make my list. <gasps> I Ooh. I know, and I thought it would yeah. for sure because I love The Lost Boys, you know? Yeah, yeah. But The Lost Boys for me is one of those movies that I really love, but I love moments of it more than I love the film as a whole. Oh, okay, it, yeah. It is yeah. one of those ones where every time I watch it, I go, oh my God, this is going to be so great. And then I watch it, I'm like, that was pretty good. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, 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 I love the idea of Lost Boys more than I love the film. Not that I don't yeah, love it, yeah. but I love parts of it and... I don't know how to explain it entirely. It is a no, film I, I really... I understand what you mean. There's some films like that, yeah. Right. It's a film I really enjoy, but it's not a, a perfect movie. And so when I was putting the list together, it just sort of got edged out. So it's yeah. in my honorable mentions, though. That's cool. All right. Well, my number five is another one that I think qualifies as a cult classic. I, I don't know if it was a big hit back in the day, but it's one of my favorite comedies of all time. It is Summer School, starring Mark Harmon. Yeah, I love that film. Oh, my but God. It didn't, make quite, didn't quite uh, make my list, but I love that film. It's so funny. And, you know, it's funny because I, I don't remember it as an 80s movie. I think of it more as like an early 90s film. And Yeah, yeah. That's a, a, a weird distinction to make, but... I, it seems like there's sort of something about 80s comedies that have a certain feel to them. And this one sort of goes past that a little bit into like yeah. that 90s feel. But man, I love this movie so much. It is it is a perfect comedy, in my opinion. Mark Harmon is great in the lead role. There's so many good jokes. Chainsaw and Chainsaw, Dave yeah, yeah, yeah. are terrific. Um, there's so many quotable lines from it. And, you know, it's one of those ones I've definitely introduced to a few people. And I watch it every so often. And I it always holds up for me. It is still every bit as funny as it was, you know, when I was 12 years old. So... That's my number five. Yeah, me, me and my brother used to watch that over and over. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's Just, great. Uh, I had such a crush on Courtney Thorne. Oh, of as course, well. of course. Yeah, yeah, but it's, yeah, love that film. I just say Mark Harmon was just brilliant. Yeah. His greatest yeah. role, still, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, no, great, great choice. I didn't quite make my list. It was there, and then it wasn't. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my, uh, my number five, it's a double whammy. It's a couple of horror films. Uh, one of them is John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness, and the other is Sam Raimi's Evil Dead 2. Mm -hmm. Both quite different in tone, but, you know, deal with quite horrific events. Uh, Prince of Darkness, that's the one with uh, evil Satan is basically green liquid in the basement <laughs> of a church. Right. Uh, it's quite quite high concept with all quantum and, you know, back and forth, time travel, and Alice Cooper as a weird tramp. Uh, I always like quite, I, I really like the, the whole feeling of, you know, it was all, it was part of his Apocalypse tri apocalypse Trilogy. And that this one, I think, really did give the feeling of the world falling apart around, around them, even though you don't really see the rest of the world. And there's the whole flashbacks, you know, they keep having dreams of what's going on. And some great effects with people melting and the thing in the mirror. Uh, it's, uh, I'm surprised it wasn't a bit higher, but that's the way it goes. Evil Dead 2 as well. It's just superb. They took Evil Dead and basically gave it a bit of a rejig. And we had Evil Dead 2. Bruce Campbell as Ash, one of my favorite horror characters and it's just it's just so funny so gory the scene with the hand so many good scenes i could talk about it for the rest of the thing but <laughs> i won't it's just so good and that's my number five very good well i have to say actually neither of those made my list prince of darkness mostly because i haven't seen it in so long i did really yeah, like yeah. it but it's been a long time Evil Dead 2, I've talked about this before. I'm an Army of Darkness fan. That's, to me, the apex yeah, of that yeah. trilogy. I like Evil Dead 2, but if I'm going to pick up an Ash movie to watch, it's going to be Army of Darkness. But good pick. Yeah, well, no, I, I, I totally understand. I feel Evil Dead 2 uh, does get better with every rewatch. Like. Sure, sure. All right, well, my number four is a, a true science fiction classic in every sense of the word, I think, and it is RoboCop. Dead or alive, you're coming with me. Well, I love RoboCop, and I don't... I mean... You know, there's a reason why the character is still sort of known in the pop culture at large, even though he hasn't really had a successful film or TV show since yeah, the first yeah. one. I mean, the sequels were bombs. The TV shows never took off. There was an animated series. God knows why. I know, yeah. 
Let's save it to kids. Yeah, exactly. That original classic by Paul Verhoeven uh, is just fantastic and the way that it has that just that touch of satire that that Verhoeven is so good at doing and you know the the costume the, the special effects and everything it's just such a great film with so many great moments uber violent but that was part of what makes it work and I mean that only because it really set the scene of this future where violence was such a part of the everyday so um, I love it it's it's a classic and uh, that's my number four well you know I'd buy that for a dollar mine <laughs> exactly no great choice Okay, my number four, though, is uh, Brian De Palma's The Untouchables. Good choice. Uh, yeah, Kevin Costner's Elliot Ness trying to take down Robert De Niro's Capone and Sean Connery. Just, I just, when I first saw this film, I think it's the soundtrack as well. The music in it is brilliant. It just really, I just, I just, but it's so many great moments. It just pulls you along because, you know, you're thinking at first, you're going, well, why is this, this isn't going to be fun. It's going to be a bit boring. But then just the way it's done and the way he puts the team together and you got... Uh, Sean Connery's got, you know, giving them all, you know, you know, talk about taking a gun to a knife fight and things like that. And you got uh, Andy Garcia in one of his first big screen roles, I think. Yeah. Just being he's brilliant. Never, he's never been better. Yeah. I mean, he's so a great cool, actor. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but I love him in that movie. But he's so cool. Well, every everybody in it was brilliant. I mean, it, and it's the soundtrack, you know, score was by uh, Ennio Monacone, so it's going to be good. But it just had that, the constant, dun dun, dun that constant, you know, yep. constantly yep. moving you on. And some great moments. The bit. I love the uh, the first, the, the point of view shot. As uh, you know, the guys watching Sean Connery move around his apartment. Just yeah. so many great moments, great scenes. A superb film, and it's my number four. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, in fact, it is part of my number three. Oh, excellent. Uh, which is a tie, and it's a Kevin Costner double feature. It's The Untouchables yes. and No Way Out. Oh, uh, lovely. Yes. Excellent. Now, here's the thing. If you would have told me that The Untouchables would be anything other than number one on my list, I would have laughed in your face, because it is one of my all-time favorite yeah. movies. <laughs> it's the reason I'm a Brian De Palma fan, yeah. and I like a lot of his films. But that's the one that sort of put him on the map for me. I absolutely love The Untouchables. And I would have been convinced it was my number one film. But that's how good 1987 was. Yeah. It is tied with No Way Out, which is another one of my absolute favorites. And it is such a tense thriller. And it's one of those ones that I... Anytime I get a chance to bring it up or talk about it or watch it or introduce it to people, I'll take it because, you know, it starts off a little slow, but then yeah, once does, yeah. once he starts going on the run, it is like a nail biter, just nonstop action and, and tension for an hour straight. And then it has such a great ending. I mean, it's... Oh, yeah. I didn't see the ending coming at all. Yeah. I, you know, I it was so good. I, I love that movie. So when I looked at this the list and I saw, well, two of my favorite movies, and they both have Kevin Costner in them. Um, but again, either one of them I could have expected to easily make my number one. I, I think it'll be interesting to see where we go with our number two and one because I have a feeling they might be on, we might be on the same page. Mm, so yes. We'll see what happens. But all right, okay. so that's my number three. Well, my number three is uh, Joe Dante's Inner Space. Very good. Yeah, Dennis Quaid, one of his greatest roles as the little guy in a submarine that's injected inside Martin Short. So many good moments in it. Just great performances. So many good bits. These films, it's just, looking back at it, there's just so many good moments, so many great scenes in all of these films. And they're all so rewatchable. That's what's great about all. You could just watch them over and over again. And you'd still, you know, you just love them even more. But number three is Inner Space. Very good choice. Now, here's the thing. Inner Space was definitely on my list, and then it got knocked out. And here's the only reason why. I used to watch that movie over and over again when I was younger, but I have not seen it in probably 20 years. Uh-huh. And that's the only thing that kept it, because I just couldn't remember where it fell, and there were so many other good movies that I had to fit on my list. So it ended up getting into my honorable mentions, because I didn't want to put it as a tie with something, because I couldn't find a good match for it. So it's definitely an honorable mention. Um, but just didn't get, just didn't make it in the final cut. No, that's cool. I saw it last year with my daughter. It was on TV. She loved it as well, though. She had, we had so much fun watching it. I'm sure. I'll probably rewatch it, and then I'll go, oh, my God, why isn't that in my top ten? Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, here we go for our, our top two. Let's see where we fall in line with these, because I think we're on the same page. But uh, my number mm-hmm. two is a film that is really one of the greatest comedy slash love stories of all time, and it is The Princess Bride. It's my number two as well. Very cool. Yes. yes. Uh, it. I mean, and honestly, I don't know what else I need to say about it. It, it, it if you can't quote the, the Princess Bride from start to finish, then you haven't it's seen it enough times. It's <laughs> inconceivable. You can't quote it. I do not think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, Phil, I've got news for you. I'm not left-handed. Oh, no. Well, I've got some news for you. I'm not left-handed either. <laughs> so, you know, we, we could we could literally recite the entire movie right now from start to finish. Marriage. 
No more rhyming. I mean it. <laughs> Anybody want a peanut? I mean, you know, we'll, we'll we'll cut it off there. But it's 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 ridiculous. It's such a great film. Uh, that's. I mean, I don't know what else to say. It's just amazing. Carrie Elwes and Robin Wright, just the best couple ever. Oh, again, the casting is just so good. Yeah. And it's William Goldman's script that he adapted from his own novel is just amazing uh it's just it's, and again, the framing so... sequences with peter falk and kevin yeah, fred savage fred yeah. savage they're just they're they're they really help make it something other than just this fantasy movie you know i don't know it's just it's yeah. a special special film and you know you hear about the dread pirate roberts and the man in black and you're going what's going this oh my gosh and then oh it's just brilliant the cliffs of insanity all the names of the places yeah. as well yeah so good chris sarandon is the is the he's just he's so slimy and horrible but he's brilliant right uh andre the giants as well yeah yeah Billy Crystal. Great. oh there's just oh there's so many good bits <laughs> just remember phil Never start a land war in Asia. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our number two. I'm pretty confident I know that our number one is the same, but uh, it is the movie that proves that if it bleeds, we can kill it. And it is Predator, which, of course, made an appearance in your Dick Tracy after the ending. So am I right, it, Phil? It did, yeah. It's my number one, but it's a joint number one. Okay. Predator and Robocop. And Robocop. See, I, I almost tied those as well. Mm. But here's why I didn't. Go on. I love, Ro- I love me some Robocop, but... Predator is one of those movies that I, I and uh, you know, I don't have a lot of time to watch movies these days, I, not as much as I would like. Yeah. And Predator is one of those movies that probably once a year I end up watching. Yeah, I know, yeah, and I yeah. can't say that for any other film on this list that I watch it that often. But it's either I end up watching it on purpose or I'll come across it on TV. And it's one of those few films like Jaws that will stop me. If it comes on TV, yeah. then I'm done. I'm, I'm sitting on the couch and watching the rest of it. And it, that's the thing that made it the number one for me. Like Princess Bride might be... A, a greater movie in terms of like heart and you know the warm fuzzy feelings I get from watching it but there's nothing like Predator because no matter what point I come into the movie I will sit and watch it until it's over anytime it's on and I watch it still year after year after year and I never get tired of it so I think that to me was the mark of what made it what made it number one I, I quite agree but I feel the same way about Robocop as well but yeah totally agree I remember seeing it the first time and it goes one way and then it goes the other and you're going oh wow because back then pre-internet it was so good going to cinema because half the time you knew a vague little idea about a film yeah but you just you were surprised by the film so often yeah but uh, yeah and Robocop as well you know basically just the story of Jesus kids but it's it's done it <laughs> such a but uh it's it's just a kick-ass sci-fi film, you know. Man, about one of the best cyborgs in films. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, again, it's so quotable as well. But yeah, just Robocop and Predator, number one. Yeah, brilliant. Nineteen eighty-seven. What a year! What a year for, yeah. <laughs> what a year for movies. Yeah. All right. Well, that is nineteen eighty-seven. Very good lists. Uh, those those are some great films. If there's any on either of our lists that you have not seen, do yourself a favor and, and go watch them. Yeah, it's just totally because if we do this. We could do a whole episode basically like doing our top 30. Oh, yeah. And there'd still be films we'd have to leave out. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Quick honorable mentions included uh, for me was Inner Space and The Lost Boys, which I mentioned, of course. Uh, Also, The Stepfather, which is a great horror film with Terry O'Quinn. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Adventures in Babysitting. Take it back, Brad. Take back what you said about Thor. I love that film as well, yeah. Uh, Overboard with Kurt Russell and and Goldie Hawn. And, of course, Roxanne, which is still my favorite Steve Martin film. I love that film as well, yeah. So I I agree with all of them, but also some kind of wonderful uh, Raising Arizona, The Running Man. Mannequin, uh, Full Metal Jacket, bit of Hellraiser, but sometimes depends on my mood. And Three Men and a Baby as well. I do oh, like yeah. that film. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. But yeah, if there's a let us get in touch, let us know what your favorite films of 1987 are. It might be a long email that you send us because there's so many good films. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that wraps up our 100 years of Hollywood in 100 episodes. And that's going to wrap up our episode as well. Phil, why don't you tell people what they can look forward to in our next uproarious episode? Yeah. So next week, we'll be going after the ending of She's All That and I Am Legend. But you never thought about that double bill before. Two films with pronouns in their title. Yes, yes. And we'll be doing our top 10 favorite films of 2008 always fun to revisit the 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 aughts yes always good to have an aught indeed it is but yeah that's that's next week all right well make sure you join us then uh we will have lots of fun like we did in this episode so for now we thank you greatly for listening i'm mike spring and i'm phil edwards and we'll see you next week after the ending i got an email from RCA about putting some stuff in my gift guide and they were like, we've got smart TVs uh-huh. and tablets and all of this stuff. Yeah. 
and we're we can send out review samples and i was like well hello oh, yeah. i never get that stuff so i was like i would love some samples and she wrote me back and said well let me check and see what we've got and she came back she goes good news i can send you the ice maker so oh my god seriously and i was like oh wow okay <laughs> and phil damn it <laughs> let those who worship something i don't know where to go with it from there but <laughs> tracy because everybody likes a better dick Tracy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm I'm on the fence as to whether I can use that or not. I did say Tracy afterwards. It was a bit of a I know. Closer. I know. I yeah. got it. I got it. I'm just trying to decide. I'm like, huh, I'm not I sure know. where that falls. I think it could be a blooper. Yeah, could be. <clears throat> Drink. Oh, are you drinking violently? Yeah, no. No, I just dropped the, uh, the coaster. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I'm going to have a drink, damn it. I know, yeah, I'm drinking. God damn it, I'm a cop. I'm the Ernest Hemingway of podcasts. <laughs> Predator is also, it's getting re-released on the cinema, it's a new restoration. Right. It's 30, yeah, because it's, yeah, 30 years old, isn't it? Right, yeah. yeah all, of the, all of these films. All these yeah, films uh, are, yeah. Forget that, forget that <laughs> thing, yeah. All right, well, that's uh, Dick Tracy then. Phil, do you have any Dick trivia for <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no! Can't use that. <laughs> well, I, I did. I did search, uh, you know, yeah. for Dick trivia. For Dick trivia. I'm sure you and found I was some results. I didn't realize the internet, you know, had so much stuff about Richard Nixon. Uh-huh. I really didn't. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's the only blooper we need for this episode. Yeah. Dick trivia. But it, what's unfortunate is that Tracy and trivia have the same letters. So, like, if it was any other name, it would be a good segue. But yeah, I just yeah. can't, you know. All right, let me yeah. do that again. <laughs> <laughs> oh Mike, how could you? Okay, I was—I thought it would work until I said it out loud. <laughs> You've actually thought Dick trivia. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because I just Tracy and trivia. Like I thought it would. Yeah, no, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll allow it. Thank you. All right, all right. Uh, yeah, okay. Hang on. <laughs>